now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's roll. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.com. <clears throat> All right. Me, 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 me. La, la, la. All right. Hello, and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, episode 53. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I am here with uh, the exact same band of weirdos as last time. We've got Dr. Bill Robinson. Uh, Paul Spataro. How are you? And Michael Bailey. I can't follow that. Uh, I mean, yeah. ser- I mean, why the hell am I even here? Y'all got Bill. <laughs> I'm here with a cow and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Bill. What kind of podcast <laughs> is going to be? Bill has effectively, you know, you know, filled the role of the pissy, sarcastic musical lover. So, you know, why am I even here anymore? <laughs> Who sometimes Bill plays Bill a cow and sometimes plays a pig. Well, Paul does a much better pig. I just do a pig with a with a uh, voice record or a, uh, a universal, universal translator. Paul, translator. Paul, let's hear your pig. How about a vote? Well, I do, I do Arnold Ziffel from uh, Green Acres. <laughs> that's actually pretty That's actually hard. rather impressive. Yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> I can do Mickey Mouse saying dirty things, but Scott would never speak to me. I can do <laughs> Ned Beatty from Deliverance, but that's about it. <laughs> Squeak! <laughs> Yeah, and then he was in that Captain America movie, and you got to think at some point, you know, he he was he was in that film, turned around to Ronnie Cox, and why is it I'm, every time in a movie with you, I end up getting <laughs> either literally or figuratively? This was a god awful movie. Do you think Ned Beatty always walks down the street and either either hears squeal like a pig or or uh, Otis, Mr. Luthor? <laughs> Mr. Yeah, I just picture anytime Ned Beatty's walking down the street, I just you know would hear doom 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 doom. doom. Exactly. He picks up a paper, dogs start barking. Hey, what do you read? XK101 rocket to use. Hey, what do you read? Hey, Otis. Just taking the paper there. Berg. Otis Berg. Otis Berg. Miss Tesla's got her own place. 
But you know what? His his scenes, as great as that movie is, his scenes have not aged well. No. You see, that's the thing is, I I didn't like the I didn't like the humor of Otis and and Luther when I was a kid, and I love it now. I love it. I don't know. I love I love dumb people in movies. I was just discussing the other day about when um, Dumb and Dumber first came out, and we had these two girls that w- were going to the movies with us, and all they would see are art house movies. They didn't want to see anything in a cinemaplex. That was just, you know, two two, and especially Dumb and Dumber. Uh, some Jim Carrey movie. They didn't want to see it. And I wasn't a big Jim Carrey fan, but I was like, it's just, it's going to be entertaining. There's like six or seven of us. It's the only thing we all agree on. And they, they about, you know, had to change their drawers by the end of that movie. There's tears coming down their face. That was the funniest thing I ever saw. I, that scene in in the restaurant where he's fighting the guy with the fish will still crack me up to this day. There's a there's a, there's just a million of them in there, and I, I'm I'm gonna have to watch Idiocracy again here pretty soon because that's just a feast of great stupid acting, and and, and it's it's hard to play a good stu- uh, a stupid character that isn't just ridiculous. Otis skirts the line but it's ned Beatty, you know so he you know he throws in real acting in there i don't know i i like i like the otis and those cat-like reflexes well i i like gene hackman's sarcastic responses to him just he's just too over the top for me see that's but that's otis do you know what the you know what the number 212 has a comment with us it's your weight lag you now think people think it was it was just beautiful because it was like you know Lex Luthor is the super genius of the world, but he's basically so evil and so just such a prick that the only people he can keep around him for any length of time are you know Miss Tessmacher who's like just into power and money and somebody and just who's du- really dumb and loyal you know Otis was like he got him out of jail you know so he's. You know, he's his buddy for life. Otis is like your dog. Yeah, exactly. It's like Doug. Hey, yeah. watch it. <laughs> Looks like a banoose. You know, are we going to Addis Ababa, Mr. Luthor? <laughs> but that's great. You can almost see the gears turning in his head <laughs> from... You know, Walla. Yeah, from Walla. I do that every day at work, actually. I'm not kidding either. <laughs> at some point, I'll go, Walla. <laughs> no one knows what I'm talking. I will drop Superman the movie references into my everyday life, and no one really understands what I'm doing. It is why I like listening to Hey Kids comics so much, because apparently Andy Leyland and I have the same affliction. Well, it's so. it's like SETI. You're like the search for extra extraterrestrial intelligence. You know, it's this huge universe, and you can just shoot radio waves off in one little direction. And someday you'll have some new employee. And they'll get it, you know, and all of a sudden you'll have a Superman buddy. Actually, but you actually, gotta I used ping to do out that. a million times before you get somebody. I used to do that when I would train people because we used to have a, a machine that refilled ink cartridges. And when I would go, okay, at this point you do this, you do this, light is green, trap is clean. And then I'd watch. <laughs> and there's like no response. I'm like, oh, God damn it, am I the only one here who's seen Ghostbusters? <laughs> what trap? I don't get it. No, the thing is, they've all seen Ghostbusters. They just didn't retain... 
too much about it. <laughs> you know that that much. Uh, no, you see, Mike, when they were teenagers, they actually either. had an active social life, unlike you, who sat home and the big part of your weekend was watching Superboy and My Secret Identity. Whatever they can. They they can tell you every person and their stats on their favorite sports team of choice. So, you know. That's one big Twinkie. Tell them about the Twinkie. <laughs> what about the Twinkie? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it's true. <laughs> this man this is happy to be stuck with you. Peck. And I can see. That you're happy to be stuck with me? Oh, man, this should have been... I, I'm getting the idea that this should have been a show we should have had the hero, hair metal hero on. <laughs> <laughs> that We should just do a movie reference show and see how, 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 we can, how long we can string one movie reference to the next. See, see here's the thing. The, the, the trick there is that we actually have to have a real conversation, but... To Only say the next sentence, you have to sit there and think of a movie reference you, that fits the situation you're talking so about. So, yeah, you sort of have to filibuster for a little while so you can work <laughs> it into whatever movie reference you can get in there and then get it in. No, but the, no, we can't do that because then Rick Perry will call us like an American. So. <laughs> uh, I, I can have a conversation like that. Huh? I can have a conversation like that, but when you go out of your way to have a conversation like that, then it becomes too forced and I. You know, I can't keep it up. Oh, but that's when the hair metal heroes involved. It can flow like I've seen it in action. And we can always edit. (laughs) (laughs) It takes any awkward moments to take the pauses out and the power of editing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not about to, you know, maybe after we've done about 10 shows like that, we could take it on the road, you know. And and Bill, you and Paul can you know you 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 guys will be the warm up act and like you go out ahead first and do 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 some bits and then you'll bring so, bring the rest of us out to what is this going to be like the like the rat pack the, yeah <laughs> dude how that did, would be the most awesome thing ever Fisher? the geek rat pack that is totally who we are <laughs> i'm obviously sammy davis junior cuz i'm short who's sinatra Hey man. Oh come on, Scott. Oh. Sinatra. Scott Sinatra. Scott Scott, yes. Scott goes beat to the beat of his own drum. He doesn't give a shit what anybody else thinks. No, but also Scott is a Scott is a, 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 when it comes down to it, he's a softy. Not and not in a bad way, but you know what I mean. He's you know so, nothing so about Sinatra like was 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 soft. Soft. Chris, obviously, I don't want to be Sinatra part. either, though. But. You know what? No, Actually, you know Scott now. Scott's current persona, you know, he has to go to bed by 8 o'clock at night. He could be more Dean Martin. Yeah, but I'm the one who's usually wasted. (laughs) I was about to to say, it was was really amazing. A couple years ago, I got some remastered, uh, you know, Dean Martin tracks from, like, this Christmas album. And, you know, like, super clear clarity. You could actually hear the the ice clinking in the glass. (laughs) You could hear the alcohol in his voice, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we should talk about comics. Comics, yes. This is the Brat Pack. Why would, why would we talk about comics? So, do, do um, what? What do you guys got this month? Who wants to go first? I uh, I don't have too much. I, I've got two things to talk about. One tonight, um, and that's the reason why I didn't mention it last time because it was only I hadn't gotten it together yet, and it was a, you know time sensitive. 
But uh, I am uh, starting a I had started a drive uh, about a week or two ago. Uh, it, it's it's a very important drive. It's a cause that I believe in. It's the get Mike and Rachel a hotel room for Dragon Con uh, drive. That's basically because Rachel and I really need this vacation, like really bad considering everything that's happened to us. So so I put a bunch of stuff up on eBay. So my my, my first thing is go to your comic collection right now. Look in the ends or look in the mutants section. However you file your books, if you're like a freak like me, it's all over the place. If you're like Scott, it's regimental in A through Z or A through Z for our British listeners. Um, find if you have New Mutants number 98. The significance of this issue is that it's the first appearance of Deadpool. The significance of this issue for me is that I bought it for 30 cents and just sold it for $85. Woohoo! And it, and if you're thinking, well, Mike, that's a fluke. No, this is what this book goes for, and I have absolutely no idea why. Is Deadpool that popular? So at the end of the auction, did you Jerry Lewis telethon it and break into "You'll Never Walk Alone" and <laughs> <laughs> "When You Walk Through a Storm." <laughs> so, but seriously, if you want to, if you want some extra scratch, put that up on eBay, dude. It will. It will make you some money. I was shocked. And I was even more shocked at who bought it. Because I figured he already had the issue. Because I actually know who bought it. I, I know Rob two Liefeld. Of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was one thing. Uh, I, I actually did very well uh, in, in a couple weeks. Uh, pay attention to Facebook because I will be pumping it on the Two True Freaks um, page on Facebook that I will be selling some comics. This won't be through eBay. This will be a more kind of personal thing because frankly I don't want eBay to take that much money from me I just wanted this stuff because I knew this was the stuff that I could put up there and it would go for crazy money um, so because I, I, I really I'm not, I'm not I don't want to ask for money because I feel really bad doing that you know even, even though we have great listeners I don't want to be the guy that's like hey would you all give me money so I could go to Dragon Con but I figure if I give you comics and you give me money then it's commerce and that works out so much better so now, since Mike is too proud, if anybody wants to send me money, that's okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say me, you ass. I had an old <laughs> boss who told me, if anybody puts money in your hand, don't ask him why. Just say thank you and put it in your pocket. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, I got in the mail today, actually. And I bought these um, off of Paul Kupperberg. Uh, who is selling stuff on eBay every once in a while. He's selling comics and such. And normally, you know, it's a bunch of like Silver Age Batman issues that I really don't have any interest in. But these kind of popped up, and I had never seen them before. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul, why did I say Paul? No, I meant to say Paul. Paul, <laughs> yes. I got you and Bill confused. It was the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. Um, <laughs> La. You uh, remember, and, and Chris, you'll you'll know this. And uh, Aurora model kits. Oh yeah, from like the '60s, and then they would re-release them in the '70s. Yeah. Did you guys ever have any of these? I always wanted them. They made the great monster. They made. I didn't. They make the um, Mr. Spock, one where he's aiming his phaser at a snake or some sort of lizard creature. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, I actually saw a bunch of those on American Pickers the other day. 
they were just in this random room, and he had all the monster, the the Wolfman and Dracula yeah. and the mummy. Uh, so the models weren't up because I actually have like the more recent version of these models. I just haven't put them together yet because I'm lazy and you have to paint them and stuff. But what Paul Kupperberg was selling was the instructions to the Superman and Superboy models that featured five page comic stories in them. And uh, the, the Superman one was written by Marv Wolfman with art by Kurt Swan and Frank Giacoya. And the Superboy one, it was written by Marv Wolfman in, like, the early 70s with art by Dave Cockrum. And I was just fascinated. I got them for, for a pretty decent price. They came in the mail today. They're really cool. I haven't had a chance to actually read the stories. But, it, I mean, just, just the fact that there are these little-known Superman and Superboy tales uh, from kind of a, a bygone era, I just... Uh, they're just completely awesome. There's one that you're meant to... The Superman one is him punching through a wall, right? Mm -hmm. I remember well, that one. One of, the, one of the pages in each of these stories was meant to be cut out and put behind your model to make it a complete comic book scene. And it, it even tells you at the, at the bottom... Place your completed Superman model in front of this exciting action backdrop for an astounding 3D effect. So it was just, you know, they weren't all that expensive. They're going to look really good on my uh, on on the Superman blog I run. But I just, I just thought they were really cool to have for my collection. They sure would have been expensive if you got the model, the original model, along with them. That's for sure. Yes, which is why I was glad that mm -hmm. they didn't have the model. So. I like the Superboy one. He's like saving the dragon thing with Crypto. And Crypto looks pissed. <laughs> Crypto's like, I don't like the cut of this dragon's jib. I don't think Crypto should kill. <laughs> Crypto definitely shouldn't kill. I'm boycotting it. Crypto shouldn't grab Ace the Bat Hound and snap his neck. Superman, keep your Crypto on a leash. It's killing deers and, and rabbits. Get that green poop out of my yard. <laughs> and his poop. I don't know what he's eating, but... What do you feed that damn it's dog? It's horrib horrifying. <laughs> but that's all I got. I, I, it's been a really light month for me because I'm saving up for Dragon Cup. Well, what about what? you? I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I sort of want to go last because I, I think I might, for once, have the longest spiel... Well, do you think you should go last, or you think I should go last, since it's going to segue? Oh, yeah, into you're, the that's clip. that's a good idea. All right, all right, then I'll go next. <laughs> the hell with the hell with you. The hell with you. <laughs> all right, Krom, Krom. Uh, <laughs> all right, <La>. the, <laughs> all right. My uh, my comic stuff this month revolves around trying to go through my comic book collection. I, I, I know I've talked to some of you guys over the past week that while while my wife and the kids were out of town, I was trying to take this time to go through all my books and try to put them back in order because I haven't done that in about a decade. And in fact, I didn't even have them all in the same room in the house. But I, I, um, I finally got them all in the same room and I started to sort them. And I, uh, unfortunately, I failed. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
that's where I get my. Uh, I'm going to do my Freaky Five now because of everything that's been going on. I didn't have time to do the official one that you guys are going to do tonight. So uh, I'm going to run over my Freaky Five. Um, and these are Dr. Bill's conclusions I have come to after trying to sort my entire comic collection. Ooh, and these are no good. <laughs> these are in no particular order. Uh, number one. The smell of old comics is warm and inviting. Now, followed up by number two, the smell of old comics makes me want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> is that because what, that, do you have an association with reading them there or something? Yes, yes. That's what that leads to because it's like, wow, this is a good book. I haven't read. Man, I got to go to the John. <laughs> <laughs> It, I gotta, it's go, like I gotta a, go take the dump of ages. I was just gonna say, <laughs> does the quality of the book have any effect on? Um, yes, the, well, well, if it's a nice big long book, I'm in there for a while and everything comes out all right. You know, really? I didn't even know I had the Doomsday Wars. I'm like, oh, look at this! <laughs> three times that day, I, I had all three issues. Well, I, I guess I'll take this one in there now. Read all that. A little while later. The family knows to like go out in the backyard if you're walking in with an omnibus. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Not only can I kill a vagrant, but the smell will kill everybody else in the house. (laughs) So, moving on to number three. Sorting your comics is like a junkie sorting out pharmaceuticals. You you want to sample them all. (laughs) Because... Because that was the other problem that I kept having. Mm-hmm. As I would go through and find things, I'd go, ooh, look at this. And I'd have to stop and open it and read it. I haven't seen like this in years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, uh, and, some, and some of the things I found, I found, uh, I was telling you guys the other night that I found my Star Trek power records. Um, oh, God. I, yeah, I've, I've got the crier, uh, the crier in emptiness. I have two copies of it. One's okay. The other one's awesome. And then I found an, an old uh, Star Trek Whitman comic that was two of the gold keys put into one uh, that came out like in the mid-70s to, to late-70s. And the other thing I just found today that I, I had totally forgot I had. You guys remember the movie The Keep yeah. back in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Yes. I have, I have a five-issue IDW um, comic adaptation of that. Oh, IDW, scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) Adapted materials. (laughs) But uh, I was, I, you know, maybe if, uh, if any of you guys wants, one wants to read it, I, I, I can send it to you, whatever. Or uh, maybe it's, you know, in a digital format somewhere. I, I'm not sure if if it is or not. So moving on. um, Number four, pay someone else to sort the damn books because I got more done when a friend of mine came over and she helped me. She's a librarian. So sorting is in her nature. Oh yeah. So I would just tell her, go through that box, write down what's in there and you know, it should be this volume. And then when this number changes to that volume, you know, it'll go to this, but then the numbering is going to go from that number back to this number because they went back to the original numbering. And she had no problem with that. And she, I, I got more done when she was here in that one day. And then the other two days, I, I didn't get shit done. And then, um, my fifth, free, fifth freaky five is that, uh, I have more comics than I realized. <laughs> Cause like I said, not having them in the same room, I didn't really realize how many boxes I had years ago. I changed it over to all, uh, 
short boxes because the long boxes just got too freaking heavy. Um, so I've got about 77 small boxes, which if you've got about 125 average in each, that's about 9,600 books. And I've given away like 10 or 15 boxes in the past. So that's, uh, I mean, it's not as much as, as, um, Mike at, uh, Mike's amazing world. Cause I think he's up in the 52, 53,000 range. Well, when, when we, we, we or Bob Braytall, who's trying to get, get the, the world's largest world's record of 89,000 comics. That's the world's Jeez. record. He's trying for it. I don't know if that is it's, the world's record. Couldn't it's, any, co- he, is that privately private? owned? It's, it, it, it has to be a privately owned collection. It's not, you know, a business. Oh my God. But now, I is could, that I could I could do that in five years? Is it and, and, and apparently, or? apparently, duplicate issues don't count if you have three oh, copies okay. of the same thing. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, because you know he's got. I've got duplicates of stuff too that I've been finding. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, I threw out eighty nine thousand copies of Turok. Turok. <laughs> you know what I found? I found a Turok number two. Ooh, that's <laughs> rare. Put like, that wow. thing up on eBay. There probably were like three of them made. <laughs> So that's uh, that's pretty much my uh, my my comics for this month, and um, uh, two other quick one comic thing, one pseudo comic thing is uh, is anybody going to see R.I.P.D. because that I believe was a comic book, the the Rest in Peace Department. I never heard yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, nice I, I, it was a comic. I just I just have never read it. It, it does. The joke now is that it feels like. Uh, Men in Black, and it does kind of have a Men in Black vibe to it, but still, it does look very, um, very entertaining at the very least. I haven't heard well, anything like the about first that. and third Men in Black. So, you know, if it, if it successfully duplicates that formula, that's not the worst thing. No, I was just gonna say that can't be too bad. Although the second one blew. <laughs> I, I I would like to 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 say one thing, um, Bill. I feel your pain, uh, and I'm going to be doing that later this week. Sorting um, your comic books. Yeah. So um, oh, good luck. Yeah, because because you it, it, it like makes you feel like one of those people on freaking hoarders. Because suddenly <laughs> you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to throw this away. You guys no, you have, have no idea. No, I, I, I know. Seriously, I can keep this one. And you're like, because every once in a while, I'm like, I'm going to sell all my comics. And then I go through my Batman books and I get all like nostalgic for the 90s. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to get rid of these. These are good. I'm I'm just going to keep these. And, and at some point, I've got to get like really hard on myself and basically like, no, you're getting rid of it. It's just like when I sold all my essentials last year to go to Dragon Con, it was such a... It was such a cathartic feeling. It was amazing. It was just like, wow, that's like a weight off my chest. You know, they're gone. They're not here anymore. I don't have to look at them anymore. And it felt good. But it's just getting to that point when you're sorting through stuff is really, really hard. No, they're all my friends. I can't get rid of them. The episode of Hoarders that comes to my house is going to open up with a slow (laughs) tracking shot down a hospital corridor and into a room. And whoever the host is is going to be laying in a bed, strapped down, babbling, <laughs> gurgling, <laughs> eyes with a just coated over blank stare on them. You're scaring me, man. Mm-hmm. So are 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 they going to go through the hallways in in your house and everything, playing the 
theme to uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining? No, because there's not enough open, empty space to fit a, a steady cam into our house. <laughs> It'll be on a remote-controlled helicopter. And, 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 it better be a very to... small remote-controlled helicopter. I'm picturing more of like a slow pan with tubular bells playing in the background. My house is It's not piles of old newspaper and empty cat food tins. It's a wonder of... <laughs> Jawas and magic rings. The imagination. Yes, it's a wonderland of the imagination. And it's growing. And that brings me to my... Oh, wait, wait. I have one more oh, thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to, to Mr. Bailey for posting the 10-minute version of uh, from the Lone Ranger theme. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, as I was looking at the last 18 or 20 boxes that I had to get back into the garage and the books are on the de- on the dining room table and a table I brought out from the garage and set them all up. And I'm just looking at it going, my wife's going to be home tonight sometime. I have no motivation to get this done. We got to do Comics Monthly Monday tonight. I, I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I thought, like, you know what? I got an idea. So I go and I find that and I started to play it. You know, ta-dun, ta-dun. And then it was elongated. And then I just got pumped up. I started slamming the books back in the boxes, running back and forth. All of a sudden, I couldn't feel my left arm. (laughs) Well, you you play that song, you automatically start moving in fast motion. Yeah, it's like, that's what it was. It's like, so I'm running back and forth, back and forth. And I'm watching the cat and the dog, and I think they're taking bets on, you know, okay, when he when he drops, I'm taking the leg. You can take the arm. <laughs> <laughs> so the arm looks gamey. <laughs> yeah, but well, there's some diabetes crawling in yeah. them legs. I don't want diabetes. Diabetes. He's got diabetes. Don't eat him. <laughs> it's too sweet. But His um, pancreas don't work right. <laughs> but at the end of the song. I had all but two boxes put away, and uh, I have a little handy-dandy uh, blood pressure meter, so I slapped that on real quick. I'm like, a little curious. Wow, 121 over 61. Pulse rate, 134. Yeah, I think I'll sit down for a minute. But uh, thanks to the your inspiring music, I was able to get everything back in the garage so my wife won't bitch won't, won't pitch a fit at me when she gets home in about... Isn't two it hours. kind of sad that as kind of a chunky comic fan that that's like the most exercise you get? <laughs> it's moving your sort of, it's, it's moving your comics around. It's not light as it's not light work. <laughs> Those boxes no. are heavy, man. They're solid. Every, every time I go through mine because I you know I have to lean down and pick up books and stuff like that. The next day I'm sore and I'm just like, oh god, I'm so out of shape. This is I, so sad. I think we need to come up with a workout, you know, you know, using using a small comic box. I, I was I have been saying that for years, actually, that I should come up with like my own exercise program. Wooden long boxes that you can do step aerobics on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's way too high to step for a comic fan. Well, the great the great thing about uh, <laughs> the great thing about uh, short boxes and long boxes is that you can sort them into different things. So when you want to take a break, you just turn them into a small bed. <laughs> and, uh, and stuff, so. so so that that wraps up my uh, my comics and unfortunately wraps up my freaky five too and thus concludes the lesson <laughs> so today. The well 
It was funny. I was talking to someone the other day, and they're like, you're a comic guy. And I was like, you know what, though? I'm only buying one monthly comic, you know, for the last couple years, which is The Walking Dead. And so, I, you know, my comic collection, I find stuff at garage sales. But let me tell you, when it rains, it pours. And first it was like a little, it was like, you know, the rain started to come. And I got a package from uh, Mark Comback. Comback? I want to pronounce his name right, but I know I'm not. And um, this was the second package I got from him. And it was a nice, you know, three or four inch pile of just a sampling of like 90s independent comics a lot of them from of british stuff like strontium dog you know sort of in the the prog 2000 ad reprints and stuff like that which i love that stuff i love the art in it but there was a whole stack of judge dreads in there and the one right on top was judge dread on his motorcycle facing a uh basically king kong so that was pushing all my buttons that made me a real happy camper so you know i i was just this is awesome you know so thanks mark and also a fellow garage sailor so that's always it's always fun to to see what he's finding in in oregon all the way across the country but then the very next day and I don't, I don't, um, I'm not going to grade these in awesomeness by weight because it would just be unfair. Because the package packages that came the next day, the, the the postman actually walked up and said, "I'm I'm delivering your stuff last. You've got two big boxes. If you want to come to the truck and help me, that would be cool." <laughs> and I'm like, "Ooh!" <laughs> and he goes, "Do you know what they are?" And I'm like, "I think I do." And what it was was about 70 pounds of comic books Jesus. and nerd-related items. Nerd erotica. And here's where here's here's the story involved with all this. These this all comes, they come from way up in Alaska. And uh, I had talked to um and this has been like behind the scenes, but you know, I talked to him about this. So this is this is a story. Kelly Logue, who is a big help on our setting up our new website it was divesting of a whole storage space full of comics and stuff and, and asked if he could send them to me and I said uh, I thought about it I slept on it and then I said yeah, fuck yeah <laughs> send them all to me and because um, he's like I know you're on eBay and stuff like that maybe you can sell some of them maybe you like them you, you know want to keep some of them and I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, I would feel really bad because, like, I like I have a policy like gifts, so people things people give me, I don't put them up on eBay unless it's somebody I hate their guts or somebody or something like that. But they don't give me anything, so I was sort of feeling weird about like I don't want to just get a whole bunch of somebody's stuff and that they're gonna pay to ship to me and sell it on eBay. So I started thinking about it, and I thought, well. I, I, I emailed him and we came up with a, a, a little idea where we'll ba- it's basically I've just got a whole box of comics that I have to find a home for. If they're really valuable, I'll put them up on eBay 
and I'll split the money with him, and the other half, you know, half will go to him, half will go into the into a Demanza Corp coffers, you know, for for a budget. But if they're like, you know, something that's not really valuable and stuff, yeah, I think you know, there there might be a, a whole bunch of different ways to uh, you know get the comics to their to their correct home you know to the to the right parents so over the next few months and, and years probably because there's all there's not only comics there were videotapes in there doctor who videotapes and um an uh, audio tapes cassette tapes remember those all, all all the old people there like cassette tapes of uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio shows and oh, just wow. all sorts. The audio book for um, Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. Just all sorts Ooh, of really? fun stuff. Yeah. It's funny. I've got to know. I was going to listen to that actually later tonight. I've got an old like elementary just... school type cassette player, you know, the, the sturdy. <laughs> Who does the reading? I don't know. I, I I haven't looked at it. I just sort of I just sort of put it over by my cassette player to remind me that I was the the first thing I did with these, and uh, call me greedy, but the first thing I did <laughs> greedy, <laughs> I grabbed, I went through it and I said, what do I want to read in this? And that that immediately was like, okay, some of these are going to end up on my bookshelf, and. Uh, and I think most of the stuff that's going to end up in the bookshelf, my bookshelf, might already be on other comic book nerds' bookshelves. So there, people will be just like, "Yeah, finally, good. You got, you know, like um, the Essential Spider-Man Volume One." I mean, I used to have all the Marvel Tale re reprints of that, and that was the first time I'd actually read all those. And uh, I loved those, and I sold those in the '90s or the late '80s. And I always regretted it, and now I can read that again. I've already whipped through. Well, I didn't whip through. I kind of milked V for Vendetta. I love that comic, but I won't go into that because that could go on for a long time. I actually just bought a trade paperback. I've never read it. So. I, I did. This was my first reading of it too, and I loved it. Maybe, maybe, maybe one 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 month we'll do a variation on the theme and have. Uh... Get everybody else to read an indie comic. Oh, that would be fun. I, I get to assign them. I get to hand pick. I won't be cruel. I'll be kind. <laughs> you got to like get Scott. Cap, Scott has to get Captain Canuck. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there's another That's one. That's a good way to keep him off the show. He's <laughs> um, kept him off bins, hasn't it? <laughs> as far as we know. Um, what's another one? I'm uh, what The one I'm reading right now is a big thick phone book it's volume two of um like the judge dread case files or something like that and it's the whole um cursed earth story which i think if they actually get the approval to do a sequel to the judge dread movie that just came out a, a year ago or not even a year ago that uh that was a story that they were going to do which would be out of this it would be out of control and i i just love i got <clears throat> judge dread to read for like two months now from two different sources in two different days it's it's just awesome so i think what i'm gonna do with a lot of this stuff is uh we'll have contests 
maybe we'll have essay contests with people, you know, uh, telling us why they should have a particular comic. We'll we'll pick through them and and bring out a comic that's a you know appropriate to a particular show as a giveaway or something. Or it just there, or there might be somebody who just, you know, some poor comic fan somewhere who just needs that comic more than anybody else. And usually, when that's the case, it's pretty obvious. So, so at you know, at Demanza Corp, we need a certain amount of uh, tax write-off. So, <laughs> yeah. for, for all, to, to offset all that income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's all an elaborate money. Um, financial pyramid some sort of i don't know what the um money laundering i don't know what the the, uh, what the actual legal term is for it or illegal term for it is but it's complicated i think i I believe the 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 latin term is scam (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was like a dodecahedron scheme or something yeah all I know is I have this one package that comes in the mail and I have to go and put it under a rock in the park like every three months. <laughs> as long as that happens, everything's fine. You'll get you'll still get your podcasts. I don't ask and those any photos, questions. And those photos never surface. <laughs> never, never. No one shall ever know, ever, ever. Um so yeah, I I'm I'm overwhelmed. I mean, and supposedly that's not not the end of it. So, so hopefully it's it, I'll be able to um in a satisfying manner spread the spread the lo- spread the love around. Yeah. But um then today, <laughs> just just to cap it all off. And you'll hear about this again in another three weeks when we record the next Star Wars Monthly Monday. But today in the mail, I got from my hero, Scott Rifen, the Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space, Volume 1. Which I didn't, that says maybe there'll be a Volume 2. But this is the one with all the British stories... This is all the stuff that we're going to be covering in Star Wars Monthly Monday that I would have had to, or Scott would have had to dig up in CBR form or whatever in order for me to read along with it. And now I've got a nice, shiny new omnibus of it. Yes, there is a there is a volume too because I saw it. Uh, Amazon was pimping it to me. It was, oh, okay. Yeah. I wonder what's in this. This looks. This has all the. It has the Alan Moore. You know, Star Wars versus Cthulhu story, and just, just, just about everything that I've ever seen, and more. So, I, Scott, that's awesome. You're my hero. I, I just can't believe. I and uh, I wish Scott Gardner was here so I could gloat more. I'm, I'm sure he's listening. So, you know, everybody, send Scott Gardner some stuff. You know. Well, I've or got he's some stuff. Kill me. <laughs> I already talked to Scott because I found a couple Star Trek issues um, of a bunch of stuff I had given away, but I guess I, I had missed a couple. It was the it was the Marvel's second run on uh-huh. Star Trek back in the nineties. Uh, the the Untold Voyages, like run. Er, those were good. early voyages, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and a couple others. So I I found a bunch of tail end issues. I think they only did like 17 or 20 issues of each one. 
some didn't even make that many, but um, I found a, a handful of those that I'm going to send him that he can have. I also picked up a while ago that I this is this is something else I forgot I had until I went through the books, um, um, the boxes. I had picked up a bunch of George Perez uh, newsletter magazines at my local comic shop for like 50 cents a piece. And in them is all these articles and checklists and, and artwork that uh, George has done. Um, they're about 10 years old, but there's a lot of good articles in there, and I'm going to pass those along to Scott. Um, he, he, he's going to scan some things out of them and just read through them, and then I'll get them back from him later. Oh, that's cool. Those co- Even though they're 10 years old, that sort of stuff doesn't age for me because it's just interesting mm-hmm. no matter what, even as a reference even. But then it's, they always have a lot of cool art in them. Yeah. Oh, did you hear? I just read something. I didn't read the whole article because uh, I caught it when I was getting ready to go to work. I just guess George Perez is going exclusive to Boom Studios. Did you guys read that? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's going to have, I guess, from what I skimmed through, he's going to have some writing control uh, for his own projects. I'm not sure. Sure. But I think that comes later after he's he's going to work on some, you know, their the regular lines, but uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what he's going to be working on, but I just saw a quick blurb. It was on one of the groups that I'm on in Facebook that he was going to Boom Studios. I wonder if he'll bring Crimson back. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I've I've got all those. I think there was only two or three issues, wasn't there? There was yeah, like a one-shot the, issue, and then two yeah, after that, a, and that was it. It was very short-lived. I mean, it was really pimped at the end of the 90s, because, you know, he was doing Avengers, and he was doing that, and then it just... Yeah, cr- uh, Crimson Plague. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, the chick that her blood would basically cause other people to basically boil away into nothing. Yeesh. Nice. Yeah, nasty. So you didn't want to fight her and definitely not cut her. <laughs> like an alien. So, we have but one more. I guess that's me. That's you. That's you, baby. Now we all have to start talking like a like rat pack rat packs we gotta start hey, calling it. hey, ba- hey Polly, what do you got for us Polly? Well, let me tell you something chicky uh, <laughs> take it to the zoo <laughs> <laughs> that's he was not a rat pack <laughs> sorry Gazo, I heard Gazo's henchman <laughs> <laughs> so uh on June 15th we had our uh inaugural uh, Eternal Con, and it was billed as, you know, Long Island now has its own Comic Con. Uh, and I went with my kids, and I was given a press pass. I contacted them, and I mentioned the show and told them that I'd talk about it on the show. And they said, fine, you know, we'll set a, a pass aside, uh, set a pass aside feet for you. Yes, okay, I was saying that, right? And uh, see, and that's why I get press passes, because I speak so well. And, uh, my kids were actually jealous that I got a press pass and they didn't, even though I paid for their tickets. So I don't know really why they were so bothered that they didn't get free passes. But anyway, they both said, when you do the review, we want to do it with you. So the three of us sat down the other night and we did our discussion of the show. And I guess it's going to go in the episode right here. Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. And I am here to talk to you about Eternal Con. And I am joined today by my two kids, Melissa Spitaro. Say hello. And Matthew Spitaro. Hello. Now, let's 
get a little background on comic conventions from Matthew and Melissa. Melissa, let's start with yeah. you. How old are you? I'm 13. And what grade are you in? I'm going into 8th. Have you ever been to a comic convention before Eternal Con? No. And do you read comics? Not really. Do you like comic geek stuff? It depends what you mean by that. I like the oh. movies. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't really read comics and stuff. Yeah. You went to Free Comic Book Day a couple of times, right? Yes. I got drawn as a zombie. Yeah, that was cool. From Walking Dead. Yeah, that was funny. And My head was hanging off. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew. Yes. How old are you? I am 15 years old. What grade are you in? I am going into 11th grade. And uh, how many comic conventions have you been to? I have been to around four or five comic conventions. Okay, most of those have been New York Comic Con, right? Yes. Which is always really, really crowded. And, but we always have fun, right? Yes, we do. And then this year, we got word that there was going to be Eternal Con which was being held at the New York Cradle of Aviation, which is about five minutes from where we live. And Matthew and Melissa and I all went together. I got a press pass because I do the Two True Freaks show. And Matthew and Melissa were a little disappointed that they didn't get press passes. Is that right, guys? Yes. That is correct. And is that why you're wrong with me right now? Of course. Yes. No, because we want to talk to our loving father about comic convention yes yeah, sure i'm here do. to get press pass <laughs> <laughs> i want to get a press pass <laughs> okay i so, want to feel special when we got there the first thing that we saw were the cars outside right yes yep did you guys do you guys remember what any of the cars were so the, old Batmobile. Batmobile. With the one with um the gun the really old movies yeah well the, the one from the old tv show yeah, that was it. Right, and we took some pictures of that. But uh, do you remember what what he said if I when I asked if we could take pictures with the car? You have to pay for it. It was ex too expensive for a picture. Yeah, yeah, just to go stand by it, and then I think they wanted to charge like fifteen dollars. Yeah. So I just took pictures of it without anybody by it. Do you remember the other two cars that they had there? Wait, I have the pictures. Um, there was. There were army vehicles. The Batmobile, the army vehicle. Well, the, there were the army vehicles, but then there were two other movie cars. Yeah, it was um the one the one of the license plate was Mad Max twenty uh seventy two. I'm sorry. Right, so that was from the movie Mad Max. Uh, it was it was from a, oh my god it was from a TV show. The other one. TV show. Yeah, it was it was black. It had like the red the red bat on it. That's the Batmobile. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you, I'm describing it. All right, but no, but do you remember the other one? There was the oh, Batmobile, there was Mad Max's car, and then there was one other. That's why I can't remember. It's the army car, isn't it? No, it was oh, from the TV was... show Knight Rider, which, um, which you guys have never seen. So I'm not surprised you don't remember it. Yes. So then we went in. And, and then we met the Russian guy, the guy with the Russian puppet. Oh, yeah, there was the guy Alga. with the puppet. <laughs> in Soviet Union. Soviet Russia, I'm sorry. Yeah, we saw a lot of different guys in costumes, right? Yes, but this guy was hysterical. What tell tell everybody about what what that puppet looked like and everything? Um, he was like an alligator kind of thing. He was like he had like big big shoulders. He was green and he had a a Soviet Union hat on, and he had like black hair from like his eye, like around like next to his eye, all the way around to his other eye, and he had like a kind of like angry kind of expression on. 
And the guy, and, the guy with who was carrying the puppet wore like an army outfit. Army, yeah. Army uniform. Yeah. Army uniform. And what else did we? Who else did we take pictures with? The Marioette and Luigi. Yeah, Marioette and Luigi, and they were both wearing body costumes, right? Morph suits. Yeah. Morph suits. Luigi had a green costume, body costume on, and Mario had a red costume on, and it even covered their faces. Yeah, it was a morph suit, and they oh. were wearing the hats. Yeah, with an M and an L on them. Yes. Matthew, do you remember any of the people we saw? Like any of the Star Wars people? The Sand Trooper guy. Yeah, that's you're not Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, you still on? Matthew. Hello, hello, hello. Did you did fall you asleep? No, I did not fall asleep. You muted oh. yourself. Maybe. Okay. Did you, Do you remember any of the other costumes? And you know. Uh. There was the really cool Iron Man costume, and the uh, the Darth Vader costume. Yeah, the Star Wars guys were really like a lot of really good ones, right? Yes, there was. I think that's like a professional group of people who come, you know, to a lot of shows dressed as the Star Wars guys. And uh, do you remember like which different Star Wars guys were there? There were a lot of. There was um, Admiral Ackbar. Remember, there was Darth Vader. There was uh, the Emperor. It was Greedo. It was Greedo. There was a sand person. There. Then there was a bunch of... I kept saying stormtroopers and you kept correcting me. What were they? Uh, scout troopers. Okay. And then there was the Imperial Guard also. And there were a couple of Jedi people. They uh, all looked really good. There was an Ewok. Remember the Ewok? Oh, yeah. That was, that was pretty cool. Which wasn't really a costume; it was just like a figure, but still. But it was like a, a, the like an actual sized Ewok that looked really good, right? Yes, it was. And then what else? Who else did you guys take pictures with? There were the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, there was um, there was the yeah Iron Moon. There was Zombie Smurf. Sm- the Zombie Smurf. Yeah. There were the GI Joe people. Yeah, the a bunch of the Planet of the Apes people. Well, the, the Planet of the Apes weren't really people, right? Those were like yeah, displays. Yeah, those, those are like um, yeah, displays. Figures. And they were they were pretty realistic looking. That mm-hmm. was one. That was one guy's collection. He brought the whole thing down. I don't know if they pay him to do it or if he, you know, how it works. But he came down with all his stuff, and they had it in a special section on display, and it was yeah. pretty cool. There was the American Werewolf from London there. I yeah, that, that's right. They had that. And do you remember there was a guy, there was an artist there, like a, a photographer yeah. artist that you guys got a kick out of? Yeah, because yeah. he looked like, um, Matthew, what did he look like? Pewds, Peter Pie. He did look like Peter Pie. He looked like Peter Pie. Who's Peter Pie? I don't know who that is. Peter Pie, he's a YouTuber, a Swedish YouTuber. Oh, okay. I, that's, yeah. That explains why I don't know who he is. Yes. And, and then I, there was there was the um, rabbit and wolf. Yeah, I don't know what they were supposed to be. If they were like from a video game, maybe. Maybe anime. Maybe you guys don't watch much anime, right? No. Not much, no. There was the guy holding the sign that said, "The end is um." The end is near. The end is near. You knew who he was. I don't know. The guy said, "The end is near." I don't remember him. What did he look like? He was um. Let me get. Th- he had like the mask. And it was like white. Oh, okay. It was that was Rorschach from from the Watchmen. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that was. I, I, I did, yeah, I know who he was. You're right. 
And then I got, and then I bought a treble. A, a what? Triple. 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 Not a triple. I'm just. I just watched Pitch Perfect. It's a triple. Sorry. And then there was, uh, there was also like the Darth Vader without the helmet. Yeah. That was what I was refer- referencing before. Okay, that looks really cool. That looked like at the end of the Empire of uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. That was cool. His his costume was really realistic. And they had they had a lot of comics for sale. Yeah. There was a lot of paintings of zombie people. Yeah, zombies were really big with the uh, artist Sally. Uh, they had they had an artist Sally. I didn't know most of the people there. I only knew two of them, and we went over and said hello to both of them. There was uh, Billy Tucci, and you remember I gave him a book. Yeah. You became famous that day. Yeah, I, I I brought Billy Tucci a copy of a book by Ann Coulter that I had read, and I know that Billy is conservative, so I brought the book and gave it to him, and then he had me autograph it for him, which was kind of a yeah. change of things. You know, everybody was asking him for his autograph, but then he had me autograph the book for him. Which is funny. And then there, there was one other guy who I went over, I just said hello to, and that I liked his work, and that was uh, a guy named Jim Shooter. And he was a writer for Marvel Comics and DC Comics for a long time. And then he went out and he worked for one of the independent companies. And he, he actually ran Marvel Comics for a while. And I, we said hello to him. And that was it. We really didn't talk to too many of the other creators. Yeah, we saw a lot of work there, though, which was really cool to see, like, how people, like, thought of that stuff. Like their artwork and stuff? Yeah, I found it cool. Very yeah. talented artist there. Yeah, yeah, even to people who we didn't really know. Yeah, there was um, the guy who made, like, the book cover of, like, the baby swimming. They made it, like, zombified. I don't exactly know what book that's for, but you know it's for a book, I think, or a movie, movie poster. Yeah, I'm not sure which one that was, but there there were a lot of zombie things going on. And Marilyn Monroe, didn't they change her into a zombie? It was a zombie Marilyn Monroe? I think there was. And then there was Excuse a me if I'm big, mistaken. There was a big, big display from Best Comics, which is the place we went to for Free Comic Day this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a whole big display of uh, action figures and different types of collectibles that we went over and we checked that out for a little while. Was there anything else that we did while we were there um well, i think we covered we everything time, we didn't have time to do the costume contest yeah right, yeah i don't even know when they were having the costume contest they did have the all the star wars guys come out and take like a big group photo together but there were so many we couldn't get a picture yeah we couldn't get foot back far enough to to get them all into one picture but but i took a bunch of different pictures of a lot of them though so yeah it's still so pretty cool well, well overall melissa what was like the, your favorite thing at the show I don't, I really liked the costumes. I thought the costumes like really cool. You'd just be walking, and you just see some like like person dressed up as like Thor or Iron Man. I found that really like cool. How people like put like so much work into their costumes. Me and Matthew are gonna try something next year, right? Gonna do yes, this. Yes, we are. Here's a surprise. And and now that you were at, you were at your first comic convention, you're planning on going back. Yeah. Now, you're going to go back when they do Eternal Con next year. You said you guys are thinking about wearing a costume or costumes. Yes. And are you also going to you gonna go Costum- with me to New York Comic Con this year? Yeah. So it'll be your yes, first I time should. going to that? Well, it'll, it'll yeah. be Matthew's fourth time going to that. It'll be yeah. your, your first time, right? Yeah. 
that'll be I, fun. How about yeah. Matthew? What was your favorite thing about this show? As always, it's probably the costumes. Uh, but um, probably the comics and all the artwork that people have drawn, shown on display. Yeah, I, I really like some of the artwork. Some of it's too expensive to to buy, but it's still nice to go and look at it. So you're definitely planning on coming back too? Yes. All right. Yeah, cool. Anything you guys want to say to end this up? Um, they're looking for us next year at Eternal Con. We'll yeah. be the two. We'll be the two lookalikes dressed we'll be the as lookalike couples. twins. Yes, twinning, and we'll be dressed up as um, characters from a video game. That's all I'm giving away. How about you, Matthew? Anything to say to end it? No, I do not. All right, both of you say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having us. All right, that's it, guys. Woo! So we had a good time, and we're planning on going back next year. And that's my uh, news for the month. Maybe next time they'll get a cool lanyard to hang around their neck. That's all they want. The, the, lan- that's all the lanyard was wants. actually, I mean, it was nowhere near as nice as the press pass for New York Comic Con. Uh, you know, the New York Comic Con, they had a pre-printed, you know, hard plastic thing that said press on it. I was tempted to wear a fedora with it, you know, so they could put it in the uh, brim. But uh, this one was just, you know, it was like a little clip-on thing, and they wrote press, you know, with a, with a Sharpie. So not not really too impressive as far as that goes. But the show was a lot of fun. Not to you, but to, to the wild-eyed youngsters, wide-eyed youngsters. Yeah, I've I I've seen guess, pictures you know. of your kids. They're not wild-eyed. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> I was about to say, you get them hopped up on like you know fizzy lifting some drinks. Doctor, yeah, some doctor. Uh... Now, thank thankfully they're they're not too much on the caffeine, so we're good. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the second everybody's second favorite part of the show. <laughs> Freaky Five. Everybody love the Freaky Five, kind of. <laughs> we need, like, you know, like some match game music to go into this. You know. <laughs> that should be easy <laughs> to find on, on YouTube. Hey, I was able to find the original <laughs> master recordings without the vocals, just the instrumental tracks of Francis the Talk... or not Francis the Talking Mule, Mr. Ed. I was supposed to <laughs> mixed up, but Mr. Ed on, on YouTube. What was a lot of... <laughs> There's none of that. It was all just... It was just the music. Somebody, for some reason, well, put it up there because they knew at some point someone like me would need yeah. Mr. Ed, but without the part that everybody loves the most, Mr. Ed singing on it. <laughs> yeah, because... I, I do have to admit that there, there is very little more rewarding in life and kind of sad at the same time when you realize you're at that point that you never thought you would... God, you, you never thought you would say to yourself, God, I really need some music that sounds like from like 60s marketing films. I and yet, I think that all the time. Well, Chris, you're you're a freak. So yes, yeah. By definition, yeah. Now there there is though there is a sense of I, I don't know if accomplishment is the right word, but a sense of satisfaction 
when you're looking for something a little off the beaten path and you find it. Yes. Oh, yeah. When you track something down that you thought you'd never hear or see again. I just, I, I just recently, I remembered my father telling me, it was somebody was talking about, so, you know, something in, you know, firecracker public safety, and it just triggered this memory of my dad making fun of this old public service announcement with Willie Mays, where he would, you know, where there would be blasting caps from World War II later on. He's, this is a blasting cap or from a construction site. Don't touch that. Put a haze maze here. And I used to hear my dad do that do it all the time and then I was like, I wonder if it'll click a click on YouTube two seconds later, there's the ad. Well you remember what, what we found the other night? Well I found Santo Gold the other night. Yeah, but we looked at that fifty uh what was it, fifty top scary uh safety films and when we got to the f- first or second one, it was David Prouse. Oh right. Was dressed in a crossing like like the Green Guardian or something, and he was a, and it was his voice, but he was, and it was an English um, safety film, and there was two little kids that were getting ready to cross the street, and they had that freaky robot that was following them. That was like the this was it was what, like a like, proto R two R two D two seventy six. It was dated, yeah. So it was pre Star Wars. It was probably and then he's the, filming Star Wars. Be careful when they cross the streets, kids. Yeah. <laughs> No way, Dark that was a yeah. horrible English accent, and I will be beaten by Andrew Leyland for that. <laughs> I would pay to see that. <laughs> I'd pay good money to see that. You stupid bloody American! <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he would say too. And then he'd then he'd put your head through the telly. It's all right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Down to business, gentlemen. Down to brass tacks. Um. This, this month's Freaky Five is the top five um, licensed uh, uh, licensed characters or licensed franchise comics, which is pretty straightforward. Who came up with this one? Was this someone something we got? I thought from it was the, Paul. Was it? Was it? Yeah, Paul? that was this. This was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, know, even know what made me think. It, of it. was very. It was. Uh, it was one. It was one that. It, the very my very first thought was oh that's going to be easy, but then when no. I started thinking about it. It turned out it wasn't that easy. I had to. It, it wasn't one that I had to like research and write out, but I had to tumble around in my brain because it was like right away I thought oh there's five right there, and then I started thinking it's just like oh yeah, but then there's oh and then there's that. How could I forget that? You know so. That's I I like that because usually a lot of times I have a a lot harder time um, figuring out something. At, at least this one I had a little too much information to sort through. And there's been a little there was a little talk before the show that uh, that uh, we might all have <laughs> close to the same list. So I'm very interested to see. A lot of times though, when we've assumed that it's it's not ended up. We've usually only ended up with one or two hits. But uh, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, you know, just with, and we haven't compared notes on this, but I'm just thinking there's two that just seem so obvious. They're so obvious, and that's what I think too. And I'm wondering if we're thinking the same too, though. So that should be interesting. Well, I may, I may erase them from my list and just put alternates on just to, just to be different. Well, I like it when Michael Bailey goes first, 
because then you okay. hear everybody go, "Oh, you bastard!" If he does get something that 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 we got, I uh, will be very surprised if Michael does not have the two that. Me too. <laughs> that I got too. This was a hard one for me because I didn't really start reading comics like for reals until about 1987, and by that point, like licensed books were kind of on their way out. Uh, as far as, you know, like big toy tie-ins and stuff like that. I mean, Star Wars, had, you know, was winding down. There were two others that are actually on my list, but I didn't read them until much later. So, you know, I never read the Micronauts. So I, I, I never read ROM. So I really can't speak to those. My, my Why list, are you trying to kill my list already? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to kill them. I'm just saying that I they're not on my list because I, you oh, know, okay. I never read them. Um, so mine's kind of really weird, and I don't even think I have five, oddly enough. Uh, number four, or number five, is the Masters of the Universe, uh, star comic that came out in the mid-80s. And the only that was, reason... That was the Marvel, like, kids line? Yes. That's okay, and the only reason I really put it on there is not that it was particularly good, but it was the first comic I ever tried to collect. And I got four issues and then just lost interest. But I was a really big He-Man kid. So, you know, that was that was kind of important. Uh, number four is the Lone Ranger comic that Dynamite put out a couple of years ago. And I, I guess, that would that be considered a licensed book? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, sure. Okay. We, yeah, yeah, we just, cut, we just did a Back to the Bins on that. It well, was a cut, really good series. Two of the Dynamite issues, so... Everybody should seek that out if they haven't listened yeah. to it yet. I, I read like I followed like the first you know six or seven issues, which means I've got like you know a third of the story. But um, which was my only critique of that book is that it was way too compressed. <laughs> I mean, holy crap! <laughs> it took it, it took longer for Peter for him to put on the put put on the outfit than Peter Parker and Ultimate Spider-Man to put on his outfit. I mean, I was just kind of shocked. But no, it was just a really solid book with really solid writing. Uh, I liked that quite a bit. Uh, number three would be the four or five issues I read of the Bionic Man comic that Dy Dynamite did a couple years ago. Really fun book. Uh, really, you know, despite the fact that it was uh, taken from a Kevin Smith script, I, I really enjoyed the heck out of uh, the issues that I read. And the only reason I read them, oddly enough, is... Uh, <laughs> Andy and Scott talking about them on their $6 million man episode of uh, whatever Two True Freaks show that they did that as a part of. I think that was on a Back to the Bins. I think Number they did two. it as a Back to the Bins. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, I was about to start, and you started, and I wanted to let you finish because that's just polite. Uh, num number two, uh, this is going to be a shock, Transformers. Uh, I'll, I'll let everyone sit down to get over the uh, surprise of me saying that. Um, not only really the early issues because those are the ones I'm most familiar with but there's something about that initial like 20 some odd issues of Transformers that's really it was like so different from the cartoon because it, at the end of issue 4 Shockwave shows up and kills everybody like literally he kills all of the Autobots except Ratchet and then Ratchet is on the run trying to 
figure out how he's going to bring Optimus Prime back to life and Megatron's helping him on the sly because he hates Shockwave. I mean, it was just a really interesting uh, series at that point. And it was just, it was, like I said, it was so different from the animated series, which I actually preferred at the time. But still, there's something really cool about reading the first Dinobots issue. I really dug that. And number one, again, this should come as to no shock to people who know me, G.I. Joe by Larry Hama, the original Marvel series. It took about 10 issues to really start getting good. But once he found the formula for that show, Larry Hama rarely turned in a dull script. You know, there were eras that were not as good as others. But he managed to bring Sergeant Slaughter into the book, and it worked. Basically, because he didn't deal with them all that much. But still, that that title, which really, you know, at one point was renamed Snake Eyes of G.I. Joe, because, you know, that was obviously his favorite character. But there was so much going on. And the backstories that he created for these characters are so dense. I just, I just absolutely loved reading through, like, the first hundred or so issues. And then... Like in issue 106 or 107, he kills most of the original cast. It was just like, holy crap, he just killed Quick Kick. How could you kill Quick Kick? Everyone loves Quick Kick. And there are people in the audience right now going, Mike, who's Quick Kick? That's not the point. <laughs> wasn't wasn't he the rabbit that you made the chocolate milk with? <laughs> <laughs> Silly Spataro. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it reminds me of a long and involved joke that I won't tell. Um... But Just no, that, punchline. That, <laughs> silly rabbi kicks her for trids. <laughs> but that's my list. Uh, I really wish that, you know, at, at some point I will find a 50 cent bin that is full of ROM and micronauts and stuff like that. And I'm sure I will read them and love them and hold them and call them George. Uh, but I'm just, this is just, it's kind of a blind spot for me as a comic collector. Well, just on, on the ones you mentioned, uh, or at least a couple of the ones you mentioned. First, your your top two, G.I. Joe and Transformers. I've never read any of them. Wow. I've heard, I've heard so many good things, but I've never read any of them. But I think because I never read any of them, that's why I was able to see and enjoy the first movies of both uh, franchises. I think had I read the books, I probably would not have enjoyed the movies. Um, The first movie is like one of the best remakes of Star Wars ever. Uh, I'm being sarcastic, though. But, but the end of that, the end of G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra mm -hmm. felt like the end of Phantom Menace. Because on one end, you got two guys fighting with swords, one of which is Ray Park, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. On another end, you got guys fighting in ships. And then you have like a running gun battle. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it was all just right there. And that's so. not really a formula outside of episode one <laughs> with anything else but uh, also uh, the Bionic Man series I was reading that at the time when Scott and Andy did their show I was reading it and I thought it was excellent and it just not that it got bad it just kind of petered out and I lost interest in it so I don't know if it's good anymore I, I just haven't read it like in about the last year or so I have to read that because Scott Gardner's been raving about it, and yeah, he about he he just said something about it. Said that it was still actually pretty good. That and the it definitely the, started off really well. It's like a fine wine. Yes, yes. 
Alright, Paul, it's just you and me since Bill already blew his freaky five load off in the first in the first fifteen minutes. Ew. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Sorry. Right. You want me to go or you want to go? No, you go because I, I think by the time you're done, I think you guys might there'll be have nothing got, left. Yeah, there'll be the four of the five of mine. We'll be right. got, I, I, I'm Michael actually going to mention off one of mine, so I'm really curious as to if you can get the get the other three. You're not going to get you're not going to get the fourth. This one, you know, I don't have. <laughs> I I'm pretty sure I'll be very shocked if you do. All right, I, I'm I'm actually going to mention more than five series though because uh, the first one I'm going to mention is probably the worst licensed series ever. Just because when I was looking for which ones I was going to go with, I saw this and I thought, ooh, that was so bad. And that was when Marvel did The Man from Atlantis in the 1970s. Oh, my God. I used to have that. Paul wins. That was one of the worst series ever. Uh, and then a double-sized number one. Yes, yes, it was double. It was uh, twenty-five cents. So it was a, the I only didn't... one more esoteric than that would be the Captain Justice comic. I forgot all about. I used to. I used to have that comic, and that was one of my treasured comics when I was a little. When I Man uh, from Atlantis or Captain Justice? Uh, Man from Atlantis. Oh, so bad. So was the TV show. It was really bad too. And then another one, just honorable mention, because it wasn't bad. But I think it could have just been so good as they tried it so many times, and I think that they just haven't hit the mark yet on it. Is Doc Savage? Uh huh. But I, I really think they could do well with that if they, uh, you know, if they can hit the target. They got the right writer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, wasn't there one about five years ago with where they did a Batman and Doc Savage were in the same yeah, universe? Yeah. Next, next wave or something like that, where they. Yeah, were... wasn't that done by Paul Dini? No, it was uh, Brian Azzarello. Oh, yeah, I, I, I thought that missed the mark, too. Uh, you know, I thought the Marvel one came like, you know, they they tried a little bit too hard to make him into a superhero. And then what about, uh, did you ever read the DC one, I read a couple of issues of the DC one and it, it still didn't seem to be on target to me. So, like I said, I, I think that one is Stay a on book target. that has great potential. <laughs> hey, you it has beat book, me to it. It's a book that has great potential but has not yet been reached. But now we'll go to my top five. Uh, number five is the recent and ongoing Planet of the Apes run from, from Boom Studios. And somewhere in a theme park in Orlando, Florida, Scott Gardner goes, yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's been just an excellent read. It's, they've done it as a series. They did, they've done a, a, a run of miniseries, and it's just all been great. I've really enjoyed what I've read on that. I've fallen behind on that, too, uh, much like I have Bionic Man. The difference is I actually want to get caught up on these. At number four, I have uh, Scott and Chris's favorite, Star Wars. I just think that's, you know, there's been epic runs on that, not only the Marvel series, but just Dark so many Wars, expanded yeah. universe things yeah. that have come out. And, and you know, so much, so much just... You know, stuff that may not be canon, but just I, it's just been, you know, a lot of fun to read and stuff that is removed from the movies and just great. Number three, I think pr at least at one time, probably the most successful licensed product was when Marvel was producing Conan the Barbarian. I didn't even think of that. Uh, that's. Crom. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
I have a full run of your book. Just trying to tie in with the dueling Arnolds. You do not give me issue 25 to hell with you. (laughs) (laughs) And for anybody who listens to Star Trek Monthly Mondays and turns it off early and misses the bits at the end. You suck. You know. You, you you make Bill and Paul cry. They miss all the parts We're where... like the Indian on the side of the, the road with, shows the, up. With, with, with the litter, and we stand there and cry. The one tear rolls down our eye. And then you realize he's not a real Indian. <laughs> and then I realize, why am I wearing his headdress? <laughs> and why am I at the <laughs> side of the road? And where the hell am I? And why are people throwing things at me? Where's my <laughs> and wallet? You realize that maybe what happened in Vegas should have stayed <laughs> why do I ha- Why am I stitched up up my belly? <laughs> Where's my kidney? <laughs> Why am I wearing a Chippendale outfit? Why did I wake oh, up in a tub? Oh, wait, place? that I remember. <laughs> oh, crap. All right. And uh, at number two, I have Rom Space Knight. Rom! Oh, wait. Rom! Sorry. <laughs> to hell with you. Which was written by. It's a by... <laughs> the, the, the large majority of it was drawn by Sal Buscema. Yes, uh, it was. It was basically as as I understand it. Bill Mantler was given a sample of the toy action figure and told, "Go ahead, write a story." And he was given total freedom. He tied it into the Marvel universe. It was not done, you know, as as a standalone series, which you know was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, he he created a whole mythology for it, and it's it's a shame that, considering they no longer make these toys, it's a shame that they don't have the license anymore because there's, you know, a hell of a lot of good books that tied into the Marvel universe. Uh, I think and, the comics and not had more to... legs than the toy did, you know. Oh, absolutely, it did. Well, but they're not allowed to reprint them right. now because they don't have rights to that character, and they they've recently resurrected the Space Knights mm-hmm. in Guardians of the Galaxy, but they didn't. You know they could, couldn't have Rom in it. Well, the Space <laughs> there were some also... stealth Rom cameos uh, on Pad Smash recently. We covered an issue of the Incredible Hulk from 1991, where Rick was cleaning out his apartment and all of the Rom armor fell out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask one of the stupidest questions ever. I was going to ask if it was written by Bill Mantlo until I realized it's Pad Smash. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> That would, that's a pretty dumb question. <laughs> so, so did Bill Mantlo create the diorates that were used? Because they ended up in a lot of other comic books. I remember them yes. being in the X Men. I believe so, and I think they've <laughs> been uh, now, you know, said to be an offshoot of the Skull Scroll race. Yeah, they were the magical scrolls, I believe. Something was there was they they were scrolls that used magic. It's and mad. They, they were the Doug Henning scrolls, I guess. Exactly. Actually. Uh, the issue Welcome to the wonderful was, world of magic. It's an illusion. illusion. They uh, they had, I think it was around issue 17 or so of Rom, they had a, uh, a crossover with the X-Men uh, in which they had a uh, mutant dire wraith. And I know they recently resurrected that character in uh, Avengers Academy. I, uh, with all apologies to this series, which sounds awesome, and, and like I said, one day I will read it. I'm sorry. Dire Wraith sounds like a shitty '80s metal band. It, it does. It really dire Straits. <laughs> dire Straits. Money for work. nothing and your scrolls for free. <laughs> Look at that scroll. Look at that. Look at that. And then number one for me was the Micronauts, also written by Bill Mantle. Oh, you nailed one. 
And uh, well, you know what? I mean, in my mind, I was I'm shocked that we didn't have four lists yeah, yeah. that all had um, and Micronauts on them. I, I just was I was really surprised. Well, that Mike that wasn't mentioned there. it anyway. Yes, he's, he's yeah. still felt obligated. Of course, Bill didn't mention him. Well, I mean, because Bill's I, polite, unlike Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Micronauts was another one where he was given the characters and he created this whole universe. There was certainly the feel that it was derivative of Star Wars, uh, with Baron Karza being a uh, Darth Vader for Darth sure. Darth Vader, you know. Uh, clone or whatever you want to call oh. it. Well, what are you going to do with that? That's what the toy looked I... like. He was an obvious Darth Vader ripoff as a toy originally, so you might as well go with it. I totally forgot to mention one, and, and, and I don't really know if you could call it a, a, a licensed book. Atari Force from DC. Yeah, that's definitely got to uh, be yeah, a license. That's definitely. That was an excellent series. I've, I've, I... All I've got is the one that came with the game. That they, no, that, I, never, that was, I never read that any was of those. The first series of books. This was kind of like the next generation of those characters. Did they change like, it to Muta? Oh no, I'm thinking Mutari Strike Force, right? Different Mutara book. Mutara Nebula. Strike Force Moratori. <laughs> that, sure. that was the name of the book. Strike Force Moratori. Yeah, we who yeah. were about to die. Yeah, um, was that 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 was an offshoot of Atari Strike Force, right? I mean, Atari no, because no, okay. that was a Marvel book. Ah, okay. And Atari Force was DC. Back back to Micronauts for just a minute is the first story arc that they did, which I believe was ten issues, uh, was the first. That's the first run of comics that I ever re- recall reading that really, really seemed cinematic in the way that it was presented. Uh, you know, it, it 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 seemed like it was ready to be filmed as as a Star Wars uh, competitor, and I, and I just really enjoyed that series at the time. And that's my top five. I love. The oh, artwork. and just just uh, just as a, a call out to Scott, I guess the other uh, licensed product that should be considered is NFL Super Pro. Oh, awesome! Yeah, <laughs> jeez, he sent me a copy. I may have to bump one on here. I think. <laughs> I, think uh, I think Scott sent me NFL Super Pro because it's like the tape from the ring. You know, if you don't send it out there, <laughs> exactly. a little girl shows up on your TV and scares the shit out of you. Uh, start mailing it to your enemies, child molesters and stuff like that. That's it. Mail it to the guy who they hate at Dragon Con. <laughs> That's uh, we'll start a campaign to mail him NFL Super every Super every Pro. every copy of NFL Super Pro. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Well, my top. My top five got three sniped off it, but that's okay. I figured that would happen. Uh, my number one, of course, is Star Wars, which at first I thought that's got to be the most successfully franchised with all the Dark Horse and stuff. But then I thought of my number two, which is Star Trek, which has been done by Marvel and DC. It's been all over the place and... You know, all the movie adaptations and the, every different TV show had its own comic for a length of time, or probably still does to some thing. So, so those, I, I think those are the two just like block. I almost didn't count them because they were so humongous, you know. And then number three was Micronauts. I love that the Michael Golden art, you know, as a kid, oh, that yeah. was just like the cream of the crop for me, like art like that, that detailed 
And I love the Micronauts. I had a bunch of the Micronauts toys. So uh, my number four was G.I. Joe, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But I just realized the legs that it's had since it started. And I remember I bought the first one because I was Mr. I buy every issue number one. And then issue number two. And I did not like the art at all. But like Mike said, as it, it got to what was like issues eight or nine or something like that. It started it, the the first story that really got me was there was a basically all silent episode with snake eyes issue twenty one and and I was and that was awesome and I was like all right this is starting to find its you know find its legs and and that's and it wasn't long after that that I probably stopped buying it for whatever reason and my number five is a weird one. And I only have a couple issues of it. I have the giant treasury size, which doesn't really count. Oh, uh, I, I think I know what it is. Thing because it's a movie adaptation. But then it continued on in comics after that. And, and I loved it, A, because just the sheer guts it takes to take this movie and go... Oh, I'm going to continue on with this. And I don't mean the black hole, the Whitman black hole <laughs> run. I think mm. I know where he's going with this. Oh, guy. yes. Jack King Kirby, 2001 uh, Space Odyssey. Yeah, that, that was a ballsy book to to produce, to, to try and continue that story. Yep. Someday I'll get he, a... He was originally introduced as Mr. Machine. Yeah. And then he was changed to Machine Man. And I, I think... I think 2001 ran maybe seven or eight issues. It wasn't many, yeah. And I think at the, by the end, he was the star of it, and then he got spun off into his own series, which ran, I think, 12, the last two of which I think might have been Steve Ditko. I remember the art. It wasn't Kirby all through. And, I, and there were a couple where it was somebody semi emulating Kirby, but it wasn't Ditko, but I can't those and that's that's the thing. I don't have any of the Kirby ones. I gotta track those ones down. I had them all when I was a kid. I was fascinated by them. Cause I read the I read the Kirby adaptation of two thousand and one before I saw the movie. Which was probably a good thing because it helped me understand the movie a lot better as a kid when I first saw it. In some ways. But uh, yeah, I would I would love to. So, uh, I wonder if they've ever collected that, or if anybody really no. would ever want them to. I remember I think, it got really bad. It was not well received. I don't know. I think they might have. I'm just looking at the Machine Man. It says uh, they had a nine month hiatus between issues nine and ten, and then it Yikes. was written by. It was written by uh, Tom DeFalco and drawn by Steve Ditko, and it lasted to issue 19. Oh, that's way longer than I thought. That's the Machine Man series, not 2000. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm trying to see 2001 if I can at the same time, but I'm not coming up with it. I'll there be on go. eBay later <laughs> stocking those down. I have a feeling it might be an easy run to collect except for the first Machine Man one probably. Machine Man was introduced in issue number 8. That's probably the one that costs a lot of money that would be hard to get. And it ran it was the treasury edition and then 10 uh individual issues. 
I have a new holy grail. <laughs> going going back a second to that um, issue twenty one of GI Joe. Uh, with Snake Eyes and the, the All Silent issue, was that the same month they did? Uh, wasn't there a Assisted Editors Month where all the books were silent? Or am I thinking? No, a, a, no, you're, a you're thinking in 2001 when they did the Nuff Said Month. Okay, where all right, every uh, all the books had no dialogue in them. Okay, that's right. Did it? They didn't do anything like that earlier than that. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess they had the Assisted Editor Months. It just okay. No, nah, they weren't desperate enough yet <laughs> until <laughs> until the 2000s, until the turn of the century. Ah, ooh, and the sound of the Mountain Dew burp means it's time <laughs> to move on into everybody, and I mean everybody in the entire world's favorite. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Comic. And this month's Get Chris to read a superhero comic is brought to you by Kelly Logue because it comes out of the big seventy-pound packages of comics, and it's something I've been wanting to read for a long, long, long time. And I'm sort of sad that Scott Gardner's not here. To, he'll at least he'll hear it. But this time on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, I am reading The Man of Steel by John Byrne and Dick Giordano. Actually, Frank McLaughlin. Frank McLaughlin. <laughs> it is my second Superman comic in two months, and just like the last one, this is a total ripoff of the movie, but it is different. But they totally stole the title of the movie... On Krypton, they even have the same floaty robots. <laughs> then Krypton explodes, and they send Superman to Earth, just like in the movie, except in the comic mon, Pa can't smile, and Pa's not a piss pot. Then, just like the movie, Pa shows Clark the spaceship he came in, but this time Clark thinks it's pretty cool, and nobody cries. Then, Clark decides to be Superman, and he smiles a lot, and he has a job as Clark Kent and a crush on Lois Lane, who is pissed because he stole her Superman story. It sure takes super balls to write a story about your superhero identity on your first day on your job in disguise. Then Superman almost arrests Batman, but Batman is too smart for Superman and they have to work together to fight a crime. He also meets Lex Luthor, who tricks him into saving his boat and tries to hire Superman, but ends up in the clink instead. Now he wants to kill Superman. And he still has hair! I thought Lex had to lose his hair to go bad, but I guess he just needs to go to jail for two hours. Lex tries to make a fake Superman, but he makes a bizarro to fight Superman, to fi and Superman whoops a bizarro, and then it cures Lois's blind sister of nociitis. Then, Superman has a hallucination and meets his real mom and pa, but he likes the Kents better. Then he talks to Lana, who apparently knows who he is. But then, Superman finds out his rocket has been stolen and has another visit by his ghost dad, but Pa Kent brains him with a shovel. 
Now Superman knows all about Krypton, but so what? He is all about Earth. The end. Wow, and it took... Mike, how many issues of uh, from Crisis to Crisis did it take you guys to do that? <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. I don't know. It's going to take me about 30 seconds to tell you to kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> that long? Didn't even take that long. <laughs> I really like this comic. I finally got to read it. Um, I, th- I think you also need to look at it a little bit because it's, you know, you, you, you joked around about how, you know, they stole from the movie that just came out. But you got to remember that book has got to be 26 oh, yeah. years old. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I, well, you know, I love that. I love when people hear like Sweet Home Alabama and they're like, this is totally ripping off that kid rock song. You know, <laughs> it's that theory. Yeah, but it's it's funny. They're definite. Well, I mean, it's the Superman origin story. You got a, like similar elements, but you you could tell the movie did grab a couple things from from this, even if it was just oh, yes. those robots that float around. You know, it, it was the whole feeling of Krypton. Yes, I mean, you know, it was different in that this Krypton was literally dying because they were all dying of radiation poisoning. But there was definitely that kind of undercurrent with the Krypton from Man of Steel, where it was a, um, where it was a, uh, you know, a, a dying society. Yeah, and they and and the the whole thing of they sort of took you know took or Kal El out of his incubator that you know that he was in some sort of you know Krypton incubator. Well, that was I, one of the. I, I liked that aspect of the story that they actually had him basically gestating while he was traveling to Earth. He wasn't, you know, they didn't just right. take a baby and throw him in a rocket and, <laughs> and send him off. Right. He was he was in his little cha- his little matrix chamber. Yeah, he was actually little, born little... on Earth. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, basically yeah, he was it's he, that yeah. Um it's 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 really interesting two months in a row getting two little re- you know reworkings of the the superman origin you know and the little i i don't you know i wasn't really reading this when this came out so i don't remember if there was any kind of scandal over like well he didn't know luther when they were kids you know and and all that because a lot of the whatever you'd call revisionist or stuff that was sort of you know jiggered around in this doesn't seem too radical to me. As a matter of fact, this seems really close to the bone for the most part, but that might be just because the tone of it. It's really funny. I was telling Scott that I was reading this, and, uh, you know, I'm used to reading John Byrne in Marvel mode, and I think he really successfully switched into DC Comics writing mode, you know? And and I, I don't know if that makes any sense. But the- well, which is funny because he was accused at the time, and still is accused of it from, from you know, in certain circles of marvelizing Superman. I didn't, I didn't see that at all. I thought, like, I thought he tonally, I think, thought seemed that he sort of understood the tone of it perfectly. I, I thought, especially where it hit the most was with the Kents, and where he met Batman for the first time. And, I've uh, never been a fan of him and Batman not getting along. Well, this was sort of this was their their first meeting, and after or around Dark Knight Returns. So right, 
but um you know he he it's it i i like the situation that burns set up because at that point you know it's a a superman first starting out and he's being very black and white and he's like batman's a lawbreaker taking him in and batman of course had anticipated that and set up his whole elaborate plan which i sort of figured it out i'm like oh the bomb's on him you know that he says is on an innocent man and uh and by the end of it, he earns Superman's respect, and Superman's like, ah, I'm just going to let him go, and I can't, I can't mess with him. And it was a nice little piece of psychology by Batman, you know, on Superman. He, was, he outwitted him, and it sort of illustrates how the two of them, even though Batman's like a mere mortal, they're kind of on, they're kind of, they're peers, you know? And it was just done... You know, it's weird. This is sort of, uh, what would this be? Probably the first six issues. Of this was a mini series. Oh, this was a mini series. Okay, so this was the whole mini series. Yeah, they did. Um, they did the whatever happens, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow in Superman four twenty three, and Action five eighty three, and then in June, July, and August they released this biweekly. And then they started over with Superman number one, Adventures 424, and Action 584. So this is just the preamble to the John Byrne run of, but it's yeah. I mean, this was the big revamp. This was yeah. this was the 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 the, the Rubicon, and, so to speak. And it's done. It's done very cli- you know Cliff Notes style. You know, everybody gets their short. It gets it just does it in short, broad, good stuff. The only part of this that I thought that was that I that I thought didn't really sit right and was kind of marvelly uh what the hell was her name the the super Lois. the super magpie <laughs> oh magpie with the with the with the um you know 90s style x-men sunglasses and and hairstyle and outfit it was a total marvelly sort of cheesy doesn't date it does that costume does not date well I, I oddly enough, she appeared around that same time, within the same month, with a John Byrne cover in Batman number four hundred one. Yeah, Batman four hundred one, which was a Legends crossover. So it was like the kind of uh, the uh, what is it? <sighs> the modern day version. I I just completely lost my train of thought. Anyways. Uh, they they kind of had both come out at the same time, and seeing her return, she has been since killed. Uh, she she was killed point. in the face face the face storyline that the Batman titles did right after Infinite Crisis uh, during their one year later thing, where they basically went through and killed all of the Batman villains from the nineties that weren't already dead. So, <laughs> face to face, isn't that an eighties song? Face, uh, face to face thousands. was. That was a Susie and the Banshee song that was on the Batman Returns soundtrack. Ooh, oh. I know, I know it by Pete Townsend. So. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking. Pete Townsend. Yeah, face to face. Good, good. All right, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I tonally, this is what I like about Superman, and you know, and I'm not going to go on a Man of Steel tirade because this is a comic and that's a movie. But the Superman's smiling. All the, the only time he's frowning is when he's crushing someone's gun, or you know he's telling someone that crimes doesn't pay or you're under arrest. But the other times 
He's kind of enjoying. He's kind of a guy who enjoys his life. You know, Ma and Pa Kent. I love how they're portrayed in here. They're just they're they're happy people. They're full of life. They're not they're not questioning anything. They're just they're just great people. You know, and uh, and they're not too. They're 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 almost you know they skirt caricature with the with their aprons and their overalls and stuff. But they, you know, they 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 don't cross over the edge into too saccharine, and uh, and you can see, you know, in this story, you can see their personality just in in Superman, and never for a second does he not feel like their kid. You know, never he doesn't seem to well, be that, out of sorts with the world in this uh, any. That, that was the thing, you know. It, it's kind of funny. Burn Superman uh, has been accused by everyone from Mark Wade to Elliot S. Magan of basically throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and by and mostly for eliminating his alien heritage. Because the big line that's said right in issue six is, you know, Superman's just a fancy pair of long johns. I'm Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to take this version of the story, then ba- then he didn't even know he was an a- he was adopted until he was 18, because of how, like Paul said, this version of it he was gestating as he was coming to Earth mm-hmm. and was actually physically born when that opened up, and then that big snowstorm hit, which they later retconned and then never talked about again, was caused by the evil Manhunters, and the Manhunters infiltrated Smallville, and it was a kind of a convoluted storyline. But they were cut off from Smallville for five months, and basically because she had had a bunch of miscarriages and, and a stillbirth, you know, nobody really, you know, looked, to, you know, questioned that, oh, he's their natural kid. So there is no adoption. There is no taking him to the orphan asylum. Right. And then coming back and getting him. So he thinks he's their kid. He's just like, why do I have these weird abilities? And the abilities developed over a very slow period of time. So it's not like he's the toddler, you know, rushing around in super speed. You know, everything kind Which of... Which makes sense, though. Yeah, well, you kind of have to play it like that. Because to, to have a, a super strong toddler, what do you do when he has a tantrum? You know, how do you deal with that? It, it makes more sense that his powers develop. Rick Veach's Maximortal comics will uh, tell you all about what happens with that, and it's not pretty. <laughs> well, that's that's the whole idea, though. This is by the time his powers developed, he had already, earned, you know, his parents had his love and respect, so that they were going to still, you know, they were the authority figures that he was going to listen to. He wasn't going to say, you know, I could just incinerate you with my, uh, yeah, if you, my, if, my you if you were a little, if you were a little kid, <laughs> you know, like <clears throat> toddler age, you don't have any moral values or sense of anything. Yeah, and you had heat vision, you would destroy a good swath of wherever you were. You know, that the first person that pissed you off. You know, so. Yeah, but it also showed how strongly, you know, how they, I don't know if they worked harder to instill values in him. I think it was they just natural. But they, yeah, I mean, that's they, pretty much how they would have done it. Yeah, if they had a They were salt kid. of the earth people. I mean, he becomes a football player. This was another bone of contention with people. And to be honest, I'm not like a huge fan of it. It's not something that I'm like, ooh, this is a great idea. But what Byrne did with it that I did like 
is that he showed Clark using his abilities to make himself feel better than other people, and Pa used that as a life lesson yeah. to basically say, you know, you're meant for more than this. Well, if somebody's you know, it's, upset it's, that they're like, oh, Clark Kent was a jock, I don't want him to be a jock, or sort of missing the point of it is it's like, yeah, yeah, he was a jock for a while, but then, you know, Pa Kent pointed out, like, look, you, you, you're just going to be a douche, basically. Don't be a douche, Clark. God. And then, you know, he finds out his abilities, and the first thing he does is... Now, this is the funny thing, and I didn't know this for years until I read uh, the Superman source book, which used as reference material, it was written by Roger Stern, the, un, the like the basically Bible John Byrne wrote for how Superman was going to be from now on. And apparently, at the end of that fir- that second chapter... When he goes off to, I mean, we, it's revealed in the sixth issue that he goes off to talk to Lana. He basically arranged for an early graduation and started walking the earth like came from Kung Fu at that point. And then to have. Or Forrest Gump. Uh, and then to have his first appearance not happen in costume, but in like the ugliest outfit ever. I mean, it turned everything on its head. Originally, the space plane was supposed to be a space shuttle. And John Byrne was working on that in January of 1986. Ah. And then had to change it yeah. because of the Challenger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this this era of Superman and this version of Superman tends to take a ribbing. And, yeah, you know, I do a show about this era, so obviously I'm going to defend it. But I'm not going to defend it from a position of, I like it and you should too. It is just as valid. And has just as many things going for it as any other era of Superman, you know. Yeah, it yes, it wasn't you know, you know, a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities beyond those of mortal men. It was a guy that up until he was about 25, 26 years old, didn't even know he was an alien. And a good friend of mine you know, kind of had a criticism. It's like he finds out about this rocket thing and then does nothing to explore it. And, you know, my friend's adopted, so he kind of took umbrage with that because, you know, once you find out you're adopted, there's usually that idea Some that... Some point where you want to check out, yeah. But to be fair, Byrne only had six issues to do this. Byrne wanted more time to deal with a Superman just learning the ropes, but DC's like, nope, we got to... We got a barrel right through this, so yeah. he kind of was, you know, worked with what he was given, and that's why so much time jumps uh, in there. If you want a fun Easter egg, though, in the first issue, when Clark is exposed to the kryptonite for the first time, and he and Pa like are walking away from the ship, and you see that shadowy figure. If you look at the very last page of the first issue, where Superman is taking off into the air. You've got Ma and Pa, you know, waving from the front porch. If you look over in the barn, that shadowy figure is hiding there. And he's the one that steals the ship, and it's revealed in Superman number one that he is Professor Emmett Vale, who believes that Superman is the vanguard of, a, of an alien invasion and creates Metallo. And it all kind of ties together. I love this era of Superman, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in there, though, too. Also, you know, Mike, you mentioned earlier about, like, the marvelization of Superman. And and one thing that I found striking is John Byrne's artwork uh, 
as inked by Dick Giordano, to me, has a distinct DC feel. Yes. Yes. As compared to John Byrne, inked by Terry, Terry Austin. Terry Austin, yes. Yeah, we're I doing lo- more the Marvel feel. I like how the- Byrne and Austin look better than him and, and Giordano, but then uh, then about like halfway through the book, once they got to Metropolis, it really, yeah, it really starts looking like when the, the first one that starts out with just um, the the nine panels of Batman chasing a thug. And the first panel just has Superman and little letter and uh, you know and letters the logo on the top of it. I was like, oh okay, he's drawing DC style. And then the full page of Batman standing over the the thug <sighs> is total Neil Adamsy. I love it, Burns Batman. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna believe Burn though, Dick Giordano didn't ink this. It was his studio and a gentleman and Frank McLaughlin in his studio specifically that inked. Man of Steel, even though Giordano is given in the credits. Well, doesn't okay. doesn't Kiesel <laughs> ink him later? Or is it Kiesel or uh, Kessel? I can never remember. Actually, you know, if you talk to him, he 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 told me that his own family can't decide on it. <laughs> so uh, Kessel started with issue four, uh, and Byrne has said some very uh, kind of like made some pithy comments about the inking at that point where I thought Kessel was just as good as Austin. Terry Austin actually inked issues one through three. Uh, Mm. So you got to see what a Terry Austin, John Byrne Superman looks like. And it looks really freaking awesome. I'm sure it does. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it's, it's, it's the funny thing about the claim of the Marvelization of Superman is what they're basically saying is John Byrne put pathos and some, more self-doubt and introspection than, you know, and and Superman had had that, obviously, especially through the 70s and early 80s, but Byrne kind of did it on on a bigger scale and made Superman more human, and basically if you do that, then you're making him a Marvel character, which I take exception to, because Superman was, this was a DC book. This was one of the big DC books of that year, as a matter of fact. And I could have gotten in on the ground floor of this one, but I wanted an issue, I wanted Transformers number twenty one more. <laughs> God, I'll kick myself every time I think of that. But this thing made the news. John Byrne was on the Today Show over this. I remember Entertainment mm-hmm. Tonight covering it. Well, I mean, I mean, and you keep saying, you know, human. You keep bringing up the word human. I mean, the last line in this book is, "It was Krypton that made me Superman, but it was the Earth that made me human or makes me human," and. I don't think of that as a big radical departure, but maybe that's because the stuff that's out today is way, you know. Oh, it was was a huge departure for the character Mm -hmm. at the time. Because he had spent the past 25 some odd years up until that, even a little earlier than that, being, you know, like, like I said, kind of the last son of Krypton. His Kryptonian, you know, the Kents were, you know, Pay, you know, there was tribute paid to them, especially in the pages of Superboy where they were still, you know, alive. But, you know, he was Kryptonian first and he was Superman first and Clark Kent second. And John Byrne flipped that and said, no, he's Clark first and Superman second. And for years, decades, that's how I saw the character because John Byrne was the one that brought me into Superman with Superman number eight and action comics number five ninety one, I have since come to the conclusion 
that actually the Clark and Superman are both disguises and the real Clark is the one that, you know, goes to the farm to visit his family. And if he's with Lois, he gets to be himself around her because Clark has to be kind of a disguise too. But there was, Clark was another bone of contention for people because super, you know, burn very influenced by the adventures of Superman television series. You know, somebody ought to do a show about that at some point. Don't you agree, Paul? Yeah, Um, that's a good idea. We should get on that. (laughs) <laughs> but you know the the Clark Kent in this miniseries was very much the George Reeves Clark Kent which again, is my was, favorite Clark Kent by the way exactly and it was so awesome to see it's just like you know in Super in, in Man of Steel number 4 when Lois and, 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 and Clark are on the ship with Lex uh, and we get a Fred Burtz joke in there which you know like you know, who, I guess if you watched I Love Lucy reruns now you get that but uh, but no <laughs> I got I mean, it <laughs> that that great that great moment where suddenly Clark is in front of her, uh, you know, when the terrorists show up and he's like built like a brick, you know, crap outhouse, and it's just he was a man of action. And the thing is, is that it, you know, it, Burns turning him into super yuppie. Superman eats brie when he very obviously says in issue two that he doesn't like it. It's all these things that people say about the book that didn't actually happen uh-huh. in the book. And that's what bugs me most of all. He was not a yuppie. He was just he was just a guy. You know, he wasn't he wasn't mild mannered. Uh, you know, he, he kinda dressed he didn't dress hip, I would say, but he didn't wear the same blue suit all the time. And it's just I really wish people would give this series more of a chance because I think to a large extent magpie's costume to the side this the stories in this series hold up very well mm-hmm. oh i thought so i whipped right through this i i i was enjoying the <laughs> hell out of it and i loved i loved how comic booky it was it was refreshing yeah i mean he <laughs> he dived right into oh the bizarro issue uh was actually based on a Superboy story, which was the first appearance of Bizarro, where at the end, Superboy and the Bizarro creature collide, and they, and it allows this blind girl that had befriended Bizarro very much in the Frankenstein mold to see again. So that was him calling back to that. Ah, okay. I wondered what was going on with that because that was just like that was just sort of weird and thrown into the story, and I was like, well, I imagine this character is he's setting it up for something later. You know, that was what that was all about. This has been adapted twice, by the way, uh, in other media. The, the MPI Productions, which in 1989 started releasing comic books on tape, basically. They did, oh. uh, and it, it, like, think Power Records, but crappier. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, they, they did <laughs> The Untold Legend of Batman, and they did all six issues of Man of Steel. That And recently... I listen to these because I've had the tapes for years and I just converted them to, to digital form. Um, so, and, it, and it's basically people reading the books line for line with a little bridging material at the beginning of each tape. And each tape came with a, with like a smaller copy of the book. Also in 1990, a, uh, the BBC did a short run show called the adventures of Superman written and directed by a uh, gentleman by Dirk Maggs, who had previously done a Superman and Batman audio dramas and would go on to do 
and adaptations of Nightfall and the Death of Superman as well. But he basically takes this series and the first couple of issues of Burn Superman, and he changes things, he puts things out of order, but he also connects things in a really interesting way. The At the beginning of issue five, Superman confronts Lex Luthor, and he's holding a guy in an armor that was very much like the Lex Power armor. It was kind of a, you know, kind of to throw people off when they first opened the book. He's like, oh, is the Power Armor back? Basically, Dirk Maggs took that uh, that guy that Lex had sent after Superman, who had become kind of brain dead, and mashed that up with the Metallo subplot and basically had that the guy in the armor was John Corbin, who was then taken and became Metallo at the end of the series. And he also, and this I thought was actually kind of brilliant, in the issue five, like I said, Bizarro shows up and Lucy, Lois's sister, is blind from a terrorist attack. And what Dirk Maggs did was basically have that the terrorists threw some material, some biological material that was on the ship. That was the biological material that was created to make Bizarro in the first place, which is why when Bizarro and Superman collided, that was what cured Lucy, which was never explained in the comic. I don't know if I explained that right, because I'm kind of like high on, on acid right now. Oh, but uh, <laughs> interesting. Excellent. But no, uh, the, 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 the Adventures <laughs> of Superman uh, for episode series was actually very entertaining and actually had Porkins as Lex Luthor. Oh, God. The, oh, the actual actor who played Porkins. Yeah, William Hoopkins. Yeah, didn't he top do that later in the... Um, yeah, <laughs> top men, yeah. He was Lex again later in the Death of Superman, right? Yes, he was. He was also Harry Howler in Superman 4. Mm. Opposite Lex Luthor. It all circles back. It's funny you mentioned the untold legend of, of the Batman because that's one of the Kelly Logue... I got the paperback... Oh, awesome! Okay. And uh, that that was that's right up there on my reading list. I was gonna actually read that right after Man of Steel, since have a little John Byrne twofer, but I got sucked into the Judge Dreads. But that looks really good. It looks like it's gonna be a short read. Was that just like one one like double sized comic or something? It was a three-issue okay. miniseries that was a. The first issue was drawn by John Byrne, uh, and then for reasons that are, you know, a lot of behind-the-scenes shenanigans going on, he he couldn't finish the story, so Jim Aparo did. Mm, Jim Aparo, good Batman. Yes. Yeah, it looks beautiful. And so, uh, uh, and when I flip through it, I, f I see a picture of cat or uh, bat girl, but she's as in librarian mode, and she looks just like a Carmine Infantino Princess Leia. <laughs> Although you only see her from the neck up, so you don't know for sure if she's a real Carmine Infantino Princess Leia. She's not wearing a torpedo bra, right? <laughs> she doesn't look like uh, Chesty Larue. <laughs> The other thing about the uh, Man of Steel book that uh, you know I think is worth mentioning is just that uh, this was an effort to truly make 
Superman, the last son of Krypton, and not have all those other connections, Supergirl and the Phantom Zone villains and uh, Crypto and all, you know, all of that. It was just, you know, him and him alone. And that lasted for quite a while. It was just actually. like his backstory. Oh, yeah. Was it. Definitely. I mean, to the point where on the animated series, the Supergirl there isn't his true cousin. She just happens to be from the same system he is, but she's not Kryptonian. They fought that for years. It was really only after DiDio took over as, you know, the EIC, for lack of a better term, of DC, and the Smallville series where that started to kind of break down a little bit. Yeah, Dan, why don't you tell us about that five-year timeline? Five-year timeline. I was gonna let Paul do it because he does that, the better Dan DiDio. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do Dan DiDio. I just talk. <laughs> you are Dan DiDio. It's it's a five year timeline. Maybe we can start a nice little Demanzi Corp r- rumor that Paul Spatar is really Dan DiDio, but doesn't wanna doesn't want any publicity. I, I think it I think it should be made absolutely clear that I am not Paul Spataro. Just a, an excellent uh, Dan DiDio interview on Fat Man on Batman recently. Yes. Well, you got to track him down and interview him as him. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from, from Dio on Dio. his personality, I think he'd be up for that. He's, he seems like such an enthusiastic, you know, supporter of comics and the fans that I don't think he'd have any issue with that at all. Wait, I did think I detect sarcasm here. No, I'm totally serious. No, he he he's a good The thing about Dan DiDio is that, you know, you can argue with his creative decisions all day long and and that's fair because you know that that you're you're arguing taste at that's that. That's part point. of the game. Yeah, what you prefer. But every interview I've ever heard him on, every panel I've ever heard him host, he comes off as the most charming son of a bitch on the face of the planet. And and just seems like the nicest guy. Even even Scott met him at um, what what's that Orlando con that he goes to? Megacon. Uh, Megacon. He met him at Megacon, and he and Scott's like, God, he was such a nice guy. If I'm remembering the story correctly, and you know, it's just somebody could be really personable, and you can still disagree with things that they do, but it doesn't make them evil or misguided. Oh, bad person, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, you know, I'm not shilling for DC at this point because I can sit here and point out five things that I don't like about the company right now, and in, in probably about you know a minute and a half. But what I will say is that you know, don't demonize him on a personal level just because you don't like the decisions he's making because that's not a job I'd want to ever have. Is running a major comic company like that where you are you are answerable not only to your readers but to the major corporation that owns your characters and has a say in it, and you have to basically bridge that gap and make books that sell. Because as hard as it is to swallow, this is a business first Well, that's what they don't... That's what a lot of people don't realize, is he's in a different world than them. They're consuming the art, but he's got to make it. But he do, it's not just some place where they go, okay, guys... Make some comics and we'll sell them. You know, there's there's this whole corporate, there's there's the need to make money so everybody can feed their kids and stuff like that. So it creates all these 
different factors that you got to factor in that most people just a lot of people think and they think just the opposite too they'll think somebody whose artwork they really love must be the most wonderful person in the world and you know and sometimes they'll meet them and find out that like this person that makes beautiful artwork or sings beautiful songs is a total prick in real life yeah so you know, yeah. it's, John Lennon was not a nice man. No, and he well, you know, I mean, I'm sure he had his you know good and bad moments, but there's so many stories of him being a total prick to people, and and uh, yeah, people just get too confused over the artist and the art and you know the motivations and stuff, and it just it, yeah, you just have to ah, I don't even know why. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring it up because nobody's ever gonna listen to that. They, they, people love people love to hate somebody. They love to get not just be like I disagree with this or don't like this. It has to be like, it, you know, when you have so many people, eventually somebody's gonna grab the pitchfork in the in the torches. So I guess it's unavoidable. I'm gonna go shoot myself right. right there. <laughs> In the foot. I immediately regret doing that. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? 
Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.